This is Jim Laws, and I'm speaking to you on behalf of the Gospel is for All radio broadcast, brought to you by the Broadway Church of Christ in Tyler, Texas. Nat Ayers is along with me, and we're happy that you're listening to our internet radio program and encourage you to take your Bible and follow along with us as we study from its pages today. Nat, we're studying in Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 11 through 16, and I would encourage everyone to uh, turn in their Bible to that selection. And as you do, may I invite you to our spring gospel meeting, which will begin April the 24th. That'll be Sunday, April 24th through the 27th. That's Wednesday night. Rick Brumbach from Austin, Texas is going to be with us. And he's going to be speaking on the theme, New Testament Christianity in a Modern World. And I'm sure you can see how valuable a series of lessons like that would be. Nat, it seems like every day we're faced with new challenges to Christianity. And that with every passing week, something new comes up that causes us to think, what does the Bible say about this matter? And so that's the approach that we have in our spring gospel meeting And we encourage you to be with us 6 o'clock at Sunday night, and each night is going to be 7 o'clock, Monday through Wednesday night. That's Sunday, April 24th, continuing through April the 27th. You're cordially invited to be with the Broadway Church of Christ here in Tyler, Texas, either during this gospel meeting or at any time you have the opportunity. Now, Nat, I thought we would turn to Jeremiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 11, and I think we ought to read through about verse 16 uh, would be a good place for us to uh, uh, to go today. And I think uh, as we do, we're going to be studying something about the truth of God's Word and how we can know that it is God's Word. And there's something that people always say. I imagine you've heard it. I've heard it quite a bit. You can prove anything by the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not, but I've had people say that to me. You know, you can just prove anything by the Bible. Well, I'm going to ask the question, can we? Uh, Can we or not? Can we prove anything we want to by the Bible? Or is the Bible plain and specific enough to teach us the truth and only the truth? Well, before we actually get into the specifics of our lesson today, Nat, if you will, Read for us Jeremiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 11. All right, Jim. Thank you. It's good to be with you guys, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in. We hope you'll open your Bibles and study along with us. Jeremiah 14, verse 11. The Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this this people. Uh, Though they fast, I will not hear their cry, and though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword by famine and by pestilence. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless uh, divination and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus the Lord, or thus says the Lord, concerning the prophets who prophesy my name, although I did not send them, and who say, "Sword and famine shall not come upon this land." By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed, and the people to whom they prophesy 
shall be cast out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, uh, them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. You know, Jim, you, you look at this passage and it it rings true today. There's so many that uh, set up and listen to what would be what you would think would be respected men who seem to have a understanding of God's word, and uh, they oftentimes will listen to lies. Yeah, and and in, right. in in the name of God, they will claim these things. But if it was true in Jeremiah's time that men would lie about uh, what they received from God and and uh, what what they are prophesying, is it possible today? Yeah, that's right, Nat. And I think that's the point that we're to learn from this selection from Jeremiah. In other words, God gave one me- one message, that's right. but yet false prophets were giving another message. And Jeremiah was telling the Lord about that particular matter. And the Lord was saying, you know, those who say there will not be a sword and there will not be a famine, they're going to be consumed by it themselves. So really there's only one message that comes from God. Even though false prophets may come along and try to distort and change that and try to turn it into a variety of different views and truths, still they are false truths. They're not really true. And so somebody comes along today, and as you pointed out, you know, we can have that problem today. Somebody comes along today and says, well, you can prove anything by the Bible. Yep. Or you have this person is saying this thing, and they're using Bible verses. Yep. And it makes one think, well, they're getting that teaching out of the Bible. But really is contradictory to what we learn from the pages of God's Word today. But, you know, you stop and think about that. God took it as an insult. Uh, that these false prophets would come along and try to change his word. And it's an insult to God today to try to say, well, you can prove anything by the Bible. Right. Uh, you can turn that around and make this case for the Bible or that case by the Bible. But that's not true. There's only one message that comes from God, and that message is the truth. And God is very plain and plain spoken about that in the pages of his word. So I'd like to, for us today, Nat, and maybe in subsequent lessons, maybe examine this a little bit. Can you just prove anything from the Bible? And the answer to that is no, you can't. The first point that I had in mind in thinking about this was that you cannot prove by the Bible that God has authorized mechanical instruments of music and worship. You You can't prove that by the Bible. Uh, In fact, there are a lot of people who would like to say, well, the Bible teaches it's okay, or the Bible teaches uh, that it doesn't matter. But you can't prove from the Scripture that God has authorized mechanical instruments of music in the worship. Now, you know, you and I are like everybody else. We like uh, instrumental music in a secular context. By that, I simply mean in an entertainment type of venue. I would like music, and we all like music. But can we add that mechanical type of music to our worship service and still be pleasing to God? Right. Does the Bible address that issue? And I believe that it does. Yes. Nat, if you'll turn to Ephesians 5.19, in fact, there are two passages that come from the New Testament. And that's where our worship is based on, isn't it? It's based yes. on the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, you're going to find there the Apostle Paul talking about these matters to the church at Ephesus. And as as you're turning to Ephesians 5.19, I'll notice in the first part of Ephesians where Paul says not only to the church at Ephesus but also to the faithful. All those who read and study this great book, 
need to hear and learn uh, the message of God for man. And that's true then, and it's true also today. So let's look at Ephesians 519 and see what that says with regard to the worship of the church. All right. Ephesians 519, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Um, you know, this passage uh, has been looked at, has been misconstrued through the, the time, but if you look at the literal uh, writing of this passage, the things involved in in, in worshiping God in song uh, is the song of the, the voice and the heart mixed together. And I know Jim will probably expound on this, but Jim, doesn't this this area that uh, deals with the heart and the actual um, the actual uh, writing, the actual transcripts would have been the instrument of the heart? It, it defined the instrument God wanted us to use was the heart and the voice. Yeah, that's certainly true. Notice in Ephesians five nineteen, and Nat's making reference to this. Let's kind of pick this apart and see what we find addressing one another, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't know that there's a lot of difference between the words psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Someone has said that psalms refers to Old Testament songs that they were singing, and hymns referred to New Testament type of hymns that they had developed, and spiritual songs referred to the songs that they had learned and had written for themselves in the New Testament church. The point that you're making is found in singing and making melody. Yes. The making melody is a word there which really talks about uh, plucking the strings, and often uh, the Greek word solo, and the word that's found here, salontes, is a word which means to pluck the strings of a harp. And yeah. somebody came along and said, well, that means you can have a harp or you can have strings, uh, mechanical instruments of music there. But really the word solo uh, refers to its own instrument. Yeah. And when the word solo is used, then it tells you what strings to pluck. And the instrument that is referenced in verse 19 is the human heart. Yeah. And so when he says making melody... Uh, with your heart, the instrument that we make melody with is from the heart of man, the yes. seed of our emotions. So it's not talking about a piano or right. a harp or right. a lyre or a brass band or anything like that, but making melody has reference to singing these matters from your heart. And that, I think, is what uh, that is what the New Testament writer had in mind, and that's what we ought to do. You know, I, Jim, I almost found it... Uh ironic or you know when you look at the providence of god i mean uh, he knew uh um omnipotently uh, omnisciently that that we would deal with this issue at some point in his about the instruments right and uh the only instrument that is that is used here the instrument that is pointed to here is the heart it's as right. if he provided this passage knowing that we would deal with 
the the idea that people misconstrued and wanted to use different instruments but he he says which instrument we can use it, it authorizes which instrument we can use and that's the instrument of the heart well you know the bible does that a lot yes it sort of anticipates yes. Uh, the issue that's going to come up through the ages, and that shows divine inspiration Absolutely. of the Bible. And and I think you're right there. I, I think he's anticipated what we're going to face. And you cannot prove from the Bible uh, that God is authorizing mechanical instruments of music. And I say it that way right. because... There is an instrument referenced here in verse 19. That's the heart. Yep. But that's not a mechanical instrument. No, that's no. a human. That's a God-created instrument, which yes. is the heart. That passage we're studying is Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I'm going to go a step further than that and see what, what you think about that sure. this. But that word singing would exclude hand clapping, humming, right. foot stomping, applause, uh, that kind of thing. What God is authorizing in the New Testament, worship of the church, is singing. Yes. And there's a specific word there for singing. Now, if he wanted to, for us to applaud or hum, there would have been words for that. But he didn't use those words. Right. What he used what are the words uh, singing? And I think that's what we should use if we're going to do things God's way. If we're going to do it the Bible way, right. which is what I want to do, which is God expects everyone to do, then we're going to have to look carefully at how these words are used and then do it the way God right. says do it. Well, you know, Jim, I think and it, this is one of the things that I guess coming out of denominationalism, this was one of the hard things for me to see past or to get past was this idea of uh, giving up the world's instruments or giving up this instrument in in worship. But uh, I think a passage that has always helped me was that, that God is spirit and those that worship him must must worship him in truth and spirit. And that, that means according to the truth, with the right spirit. And so if we're going to worship God, in the in the way that he pleased, it's got to be according to his word. It's got to yeah. be according to what he laid out. And right here, he lays out two aspects: the voice and the heart. Anything you go beyond that, it goes beyond truth, and we can't worship God in error and be acceptable to. Right. Well, the passage you referenced there, John four twenty four, is very appropriate here. Yes. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him. Yeah. And it's not an optional matter. That God must. expects us, yeah. yeah, God expects us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Yeah. And we've, that means according to God's divine revelation yeah. and what God has given us. Turn to a parallel passage, sure. Nat, and we're looking at Colossians three sixteen here. And there's a lot of similarity between Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. And I, I want our listening audience and those who are studying along with us today to be aware of the Colossians 3.16 passage and make whatever comment you think uh, you need to regarding how that contributes to this discussion right. about how the worship is to be conducted. And this adds a little bit more of a, a little bit different aspect on it as well as what what singing does uh, helps us with what it does you know there's a there's a part that is worshiping god but there's a part that also builds up the christian and this is this is a big part of it and uh, uh colossians three sixteen, let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, we see the word hearts come up again to show how important that is. But also, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. One way, you know, that the word of of Christ uh, has an impact on us, if you look at many of our songs, even that we sing today, are based in Scripture. Uh, many of them uh, are word-for-word Scripture, just put into song. And so the more we sing about God and these these Scripture songs, and, and I would go as far as to say there would be songs that are scriptural and songs that are not scriptural to sing to God that would not line up with God's Word, and those would not be songs we should be singing. I agree. And so agree. the songs we should be singing should be based in Scripture. They should yeah. be based upon God's Word. Yeah. And when we sing them, we develop uh, ourselves more and more uh, richly, and then we're able to teach and admonish one another as we sing. Uh, it teaches and admonish one another about the Word of God. Uh, you know, Jim, we see as little kids um, teaching children songs. It helps them, you know, if you're uh, memorizing a, a pa- poetry, for example, well, putting it to music oftentimes helps you remember those passages. And I know in early days in uh, of Christianity, before songbooks and, you know, well, songs were a big, huge part of learning and memorizing mm-hmm. God's word. It was put to to rhythm and to melody, and so we too today can teach and admonish one another through song. Yeah, song such an important way of teaching, yes. as you're pointing out. Uh, the Colossians three sixteen passage begins with the idea of God's word. Yes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, yeah. and to dwell is the idea of living. Yeah. Let the word of God live in me. Let the word of God be deposited in my heart, so that I can balance and base my life on the Word of God and the standard of the divine Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms. There's that word singing like you pointed out. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he adds this matter, with thanksgiving or thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's the heart again. And so we are expressing our joy, our love, our thanksgiving to God through what we sing from our heart. Yeah. And it's certainly not uh, by what is being played on the piano or the organ, uh, which is certainly a modern-day invention and yeah. an addition to what the New Testament teaches about music. You know, question, Jim, yeah. you know, how you feel about this, and I, I know how I feel, but I'd like to get your thoughts. You know, I've been at places where worship almost seems, or, for example, you may have a youth worship or something, and it seems... F- people are flippant or maybe even irreverent mm. in their tone of song. And like I said, I believe that that our songs ought to be based scripturally. If we're going to sing to God, uh, about God, that ought to be based in God's word and not just uh, what our thoughts and opinions are on things. But a lot of times we'll go places or be a place, and it, it seems almost that there's a an irreverence to worship. You know, is that something we should be careful about? Is it, you know, is it is it just the words we sing, or is it also the heart and the 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 mind mindset of doing it appropriately? Oh, I think you're right. I think we need to be very careful with regard to uh, 
our attitude yes. and our approach. Now, we could turn worship into some kind of entertainment fest, yes. and it was not that. It's not designed to be that way. Uh, what worship is is me bowing my heart and mind and will to God, and I'm turning myself over to God, and I'm praising God. I'm not trying to entertain somebody else. Right. And I'm not trying to make it some kind of festival where I entertain the other. I'm trying to express as sincerely as I can from my heart my adoration, my thanksgiving, as it says in the passage, Colossians 3.16, to God. And a lot of times there's the tendency today, because we live in such an atmosphere of entertainment, or people come in and say, you know, okay, impress me with what you can do kind of attitude, that we lose sight of the worship and we lose sight of the point of it. And worship is a a time where God has taught us in the New Testament to come and worship him and praise him according to the New Testament pattern. Now, you just can't prove anything by the Bible. And you can't just do anything you want to by Bible authority. The Bible has one message here. Just as um, the Old Testament prophet in Jeremiah chapter 14 was saying, there's one message. Now, there's false teachers out there that will twist and turn the message. Right. But there's only one message really coming from God. Right. And that one message is that our worship is a sacred time, a time of spiritual reflection, and it is, be, it is to be done properly. Let's continue this thought sure. about the worship, uh, especially since you brought it up here. Second Timothy chapter 4, if you'll read that for me, sure. Nat. I was thinking of this passage as you were speaking about that matter. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1, oh, I suppose 1 through 5 is a good place to uh, uh, talk about this. This is one of the things that the early church did in its worship, and that was the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Now, we started today talking about mechanical instruments of music and how that there is no Bible authority for that. Uh, let's study further what the Bible says about New Testament worship. And I'm thinking now about the preaching and the teaching that was done in the worship. I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and Nat's going to read for us, if you would please, verses 1 through 5. Sure. Such a good passage of Scripture here to to look at. Uh, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from uh, listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. Right. Well, you know, you wonder, as Paul wrote to Timothy, how how, how far in the future was he talking for the time is coming when people wouldn't hear sound teaching? I'm sure it was almost immediate, but it has yeah, yeah. it has grown into something today. You have any variety. It's almost like Baskin and Robbins. Any variety of the truth you well, want is you got, out there you got for a good your point. taking. you got a good and, point. Uh, but we are, as Christians... First of all, to remain sober-minded, to keep our minds about us. When we when we look upon God's word, we've got to utilize our minds in the in the subject. Uh, we cannot just uh, go by our own passions, like uh, verse three here says. You know, 
if if we're just led by what Nat wants or what Jim wants, if it's contrary to the Bible, believe me, there's a variety out there that you can find yeah. to fit your need. If Absolutely, you want. you'll find it somewhere. Uh, right, but but God wants us to consult His Word to find out what He wants for us. Exactly right, and it's a good passage. Yes, it is. As you pointed out, to help us there, you notice as He says in verse two, preach the Word. Yes, He didn't say theorize about it. No, He didn't say theologize about it. He didn't say philosophize about it. Uh, he didn't say hypothesize about it. He said, preach <laughs> the right. word. And he's talking about the scripture there. Preach the scripture, the New Testament. Now, he may have been talking about the Old Testament scripture in yeah. chapter 3, but he's talking about New Testament scripture in chapter 4. Yeah. And that preaching the word is what was done in the early church. And that early church and, and today in the Lord's New Testament church, it is the scripture which reproves and rebukes and exhorts Uh, with complete patience and teaching, do this because, as you pointed out, verse 3, there are times coming when they will not want the truth, but they will have itching ears. Now, itching ears is an interesting way to say that. What he means by that is, you know, hear what you want to hear. Now, that's the point you were making. You know, if you want to hear it, there's somebody out there preaching it. I don't care what kind of crazy notion it is. Men come from Mars. I'm sure somebody's out there preaching that kind of false doctrine. Uh, uh, Or that the earth is the center of the universe. There's probably some preacher out there preaching that somewhere. I don't believe that. But there are people out there who probably do. That's right. And if you want to find the doctrine just to suit yourself, you can find it. But now, don't think you can prove it by the Bible. Because there is one message that comes from the Bible, the Word of God, and that's what God wants us to learn and study. Uh, Turn to Acts chapter 20, and Acts chapter 20 talks about something that's very important to us as Christians, and that's the Lord's Supper. And this is something that they did on the first day of the week, and they came together to take the Lord's Supper. And and that we've got just a minute or two left. Let's study another point or two about worship. You can't prove everything by the Bible. Some people say, well, you can prove anything by the Bible. Well, that's false. That's just not true. Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. So what does the Scripture say about the Lord's Supper? It says, on that first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech till midnight. But we see here, you know, Paul was there preaching. And, again, that's an aspect that can't be missed. And I know we'll talk about that probably next week. But uh, we see here that the reason, the occasion for gathering together on the first day of the week was to break the bread, uh, to remember Christ. That was the reason they gathered together originally uh, as Christians on the first day of the week was for that purpose, to surely. remember Christ through the breaking Surely of was, surely was. Another good passage that we'll talk about on another occasion along this line is First Corinthians chapter 11. But one of the acts of worship which they engaged in was prayer. Yes. And as you see in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42, is a beautiful passage about prayer. In fact, yeah. there are a lot of them. And let me just go ahead and read that particular passage. So those who were baptized, who received the word, were baptized, Acts 2.41. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves, yeah, devoted themselves to that. Giving was another aspect of their worship. 
1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now, at the point that we've been making today, you can't prove anything and everything by the Bible like some people try to say. The Bible has one message. It's very clear for all. We simply need to remove from our hearts and minds the prejudice and the preconceived ideas that we have and accept it and believe it and enjoy uh, the teaching that God has given. Good lesson today, brother. We hope that you'll join us again next uh, week as we continue to look into God's holy word.